1: Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt.
2: Now, this is a great segment. If you've heard of consumer proposals before but don't quite know what it is, or maybe personal bankruptcy and what it looks like today. So there's a big difference between the two and how making a consumer proposal is different to filing for bankruptcy. And there's some key differences. Uh, So, Blair... Since some people might not be familiar with the consumer proposal or bankruptcy. Can we just start with definitions uh, and a bit of a summary on both of the processes?
0: Yeah, definitely, Elaine. I'm really excited for today's segment because we're going to try in our, in our 13 minutes to give a really good grounding of both of these options, compare and contrast, where they're similar and they're different. And, you know, jumping right into it, uh, the idea of the ins and outs of each of these, of these debt remedies, you know, most people don't research these until they're confronted with a debt problem. So having this knowledge in the back of your mind. Hopefully it's going to help you if you're facing it, but also can help you help somebody in your life that you care about who might also be facing a financial difficulty. Personal bankruptcy in a nutshell, it's a federally legislated legal process. That's a a mouthful, but essentially it means it's sanctioned by the law and it allows you to eliminate your debts in the event that you're no longer able to meet your financial obligations. So in Canada, personal bankruptcy legislation can result in full forgiveness for virtually all of your debts and allows you to get a financial fresh start. So the wording in the law is the fresh, a fresh start for the honest but unfortunate debtor. If you've done your best but you've had some unfortunate things happen to you, bankruptcy is the remedy that allows you to get back to zero, start fresh and begin to rebuild your finances. Uh, a consumer proposal um, is available through a licensed insolvency trustee, the same person that would assist you with a bankruptcy can assist you with a consumer proposal and it's a hugely popular alternative in fact two-thirds of people that come to see trustees in the province of BC typically opt to file a consumer proposal instead of a personal bankruptcy and the way a consumer proposal works is it's similar to a debt consolidation where you make a single monthly payment um, over a set period of time but the big difference with a debt consolidation is instead of having to pay back all the money plus some interest on top of that, a consumer proposal can drastically reduce the amount of debt you have to repay. It still considers your debts paid in full, but you can often reduce up to 50, even up to 80% of the debt that you're charged, and there's never another dollar of interest charged um, as well as there's no additional fees for service on top of that. So if you owed someone $20,000, for example, you offered a proposal for 30% of that at $6,000, that's all you'd be required to pay all the costs of administration would be born out of, say, a regular monthly payment of $100 a month over 60 months. And those are reasonable numbers that we see quite often at Sands & Associates. Uh, what's nice is that with a consumer proposal, is it's flexible, so you could decide you want to do monthly payments. It could be a single lump sum payment. The payments could scale up and down. Uh, but it's a very powerful means of avoiding bankruptcy um, if, if you have the ability to make summary payments.
2: And, and what about your eligibility? How does that work for each of them?
0: Yeah, eligibility is the same. Um, so you have to owe at least a thousand dollars, and generally nobody's filing bankruptcy or doing a proposal for a thousand dollars. But people do it for you know five to ten thousand dollars. The average is probably in the range of thirty to fifty thousand dollars or so these days. Uh, and for a consumer proposal, it's up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars at the debt level, and you can even do a proposal if you have higher debts. Than that. It's just a bit of a different legal legal remedy. Um, but with a the bankruptcy, there's no constraints. You could do a bankruptcy for you know essentially an unlimited amount of debt. I've seen people. You know, in the millions of debt if perhaps they had an ICBC accident where they weren't covered or perhaps a corporate guarantee of some debts if the business failed and they were on the hook but a bankruptcy there's no constraint on the amount of the debt a proposal essentially you're going to try to repay some portion of it so if it's a huge amount of debt trying to pay back you know ten percent of a million dollar debt that's very difficult to do compared to ten percent of you know a forty thousand dollar debt well that's a whole lot easier to do so you've just got to be be clear it's a, an affordable amount and essentially you're constraint with a consumer proposal.
2: And, and both ways uh, include pretty much all types of debt, right?
0: Yeah, and that's a real surprise to a lot of folks because a lot of people I sit down with, they say, okay, I know you guys can help me with the credit cards, uh, but I know the government, my gosh, they're going to get their pound of flesh no matter what. You can't assist with that. And that's just completely incorrect. A trustee is the only person that can assist with government debt like taxes, student loans, ICBC debts, so on and so forth. Uh, in general, a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal can include virtually all kinds of debt. Uh, your general consumer and business debts, you know, I mentioned your credit cards, lines of credit, overdraft, payday loans, even personal debts owing to an individual. Uh, We've talked about government debts, student loans. Um, So it really is just about all inclusive. There's a small number of debts that no matter the remedy, they can't be reduced. And these are the more common sense debts that you would think you probably shouldn't be able to reduce. So something like a child support obligation, um, something like an alimony amount that's awarded by court, um, or if you've been taken to court uh, for an assault charge and there's been a monetary award against you, again, it's very specific things, um, that can't be discharged if you go in through bankruptcy or do a consumer proposal but essentially any debt that was honestly incurred aside from again those support type of obligations um, you can help you can restructure and then discharge either in a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy proceeding
2: such good information Blair and there's a lot of it so I just want to mention to folks who are listening going oh my gosh I feel a bit overwhelmed by all of this it's so easy to go to the website sans-trustee.com and it's filled with great questions and answers pretty much every question you may come up with uh, there's going to be a good answer for you or if you want to go ahead and make that appointment and and sit down and talk with someone like Blair or Blair himself 1-800-661-3030 and I just want to throw in they have offices all over British Columbia. So let's get back to it. What are some of the other ways options differ when it comes to negotiation and overall repayment?
0: Yeah, there's a very key difference between a bankruptcy and a proposal because in a bankruptcy, essentially, it's your decision, your decision alone. No creditors can reject your decision to file a bankruptcy. You don't need permission from anybody. You sit down with a trustee, you file the bankruptcy documents, and you're generally going to be entitled to 100% forgiveness uh, of all of your debts. Uh, now where a consumer proposal works is a consumer proposal, there is an option for your creditors. Any proposal could be accepted or rejected, so your creditors do have a say on whether your proposal is going to succeed, and the way a proposal is you know, essentially the, the idea behind it is it's meant to be a win-win. So the win to you is you avoid a bankruptcy filing altogether because if anybody could avoid a bankruptcy, typically they're interested in at least investigating that. The win to your creditors is they receive more money back than if you had filed for bankruptcy. So when we file a consumer proposal, we show the creditors a page that has two columns on it. One is here's a hypothetical bankruptcy proceeding. This is the individual's option. They could file this tomorrow with no notice to you creditors until it's done. Um, And you'll have to be forced to accept, you know, sometimes it's zero recovery, sometimes it's five or 10 cents on the dollar. Uh, We contrast that with a consumer proposal where we say the person doesn't want to go into bankruptcy and you, creditor, I'm sure, would like to get back as much of the debt as possible. So how about we work together with the client and you receive, say, a 30 percent repayment of the debt over time? Ninety five out of 100 of our proposals are accepted right off the bat creditors agree with our first offer, the other 5%, sometimes there's some negotiations back and forth, but it's about 99% of the time proposals get accepted by creditors, and that sounds pretty high, I understand, but it's also the case, not all of your creditors even have to agree to get a proposal accepted so if you owed say five people money all of the same amount um, all we need is a majority in dollar value to say yes to the proposal so if three of those individuals said yes uh, the other two even if they said there's no way on god's green earth will we accept you know writing off 80 percent of our debt accepting 20 percent back well if the other creditors holding a majority of the debt have said yes to that proposal it's legally binding it's enforceable against everybody nobody can opt out even if it's the government that says they don't want this proposal if you're other debts outweigh the government, and your other debts say yes, it's all acceptable, legally binding, and you've got the protection of doing that proposal.
2: I know you've got some other examples on some of the differences in flexibility between bankruptcy and making a proposal. Do you want to talk briefly about those?
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you, Elaine. There's just so many things that we could go uh, go down on. I, I think we definitely want to, want to focus on the things that are most important. So, you know, a stay of proceedings, um, that's a legal term, and that's applicable to both a personal bankruptcy or a consumer proposal. And what that means is you get protection. So a lot of people understand, you know, instinctively, if you file for bankruptcy, it means people have to leave you the heck alone. They have to stop calling you. They have to stop harassing you. There can be no court proceedings taken against you. That's the same protection you receive in a consumer proposal, as in a personal bankruptcy. So it's not the case you need to go bankrupt to get protection. You can get the same protection when you file a consumer proposal. Uh, I think it's important for us to talk about monthly payments as well, uh, because there is quite a difference between how a personal bankruptcy and a consumer proposal are structured in terms of monthly payments. And the way a bankruptcy works is a bankruptcy is based on your household income. So most bankruptcies require you to just pay the cost of administration. So about 80% of the time, if someone files for bankruptcy, they're usually considered low income. And in that situation, they pay a minimum fee of $200 a month for nine months. And that's all they have to pay in total is $1,800. That's regardless of the amount of the debt. It could be $10,000, $100,000 or a million. The payments don't scale at all based on the amount of the debt. They just scale based on your monthly income. And that contrasts with a consumer proposal where the payment is just what percentage can you afford to repay on the debt, and you can divide those payments over a maximum term of 60 months. So an example that that we had reviewed before, Elaine, is if you had a consumer proposal of debts of $40,000, a typical offer might be to give your creditors a 30% repayment, which is $12,600, and you could pay that at $350 a month over 36 months, or if you extended it out to 60 months, you could pay it for $210 a month, but your total amount is just the 30% of that total of $40,000. So your debts go from $40,000 to 12600 and you get the time you need to make those reduced payments to pay off that reduced balance.
2: How big a difference is it between the consumer proposal and bankruptcy for your time to complete each one?
0: Well, a bankruptcy is typically going to be over a little bit more quickly. So, you know, a nine-month bankruptcy is about as quick as you could ever deal with a problem debt situation in Canada. Now, some proposals are over relatively quickly. If it's a lump sum proposal, let's say, you know, a third party, perhaps a family member or a friend wants to give you some money to pay off a reduced balance of your debt. Well, a proposal might be over and done within the space of two or three months, but that's not the regular, uh, that's not the everyday, typically a consumer proposal. It's going to be payments over a period of usually two, to four years, a maximum of five years, and it can be done as soon as you're able to pay it off. So a proposal is definitely more flexible in terms of the timing. Uh, A bankruptcy can be as short as nine months, but if you're not low income, a bankruptcy will run for a year longer than that, uh, which is 21 months in total, And if you filed a bankruptcy before, which sometimes about 15% of people that file one bankruptcy sometimes need to get that help again in the future, the bankruptcy term can last longer, can be a couple of years uh, as a base there as well. So the timing can differ quite a bit on each situation.
2: Now, I was going to spend the last couple of seconds, Larry, giving you an opportunity to talk about why it's such a good idea to talk to a licensed insolvency trustee. But I'm you just really just gave us the best example ever by explaining all of the all of the differences and the and the pieces of, of filing for bankruptcy or fi- or filing a consumer proposal. So well done. And I want to also mention too to go to the website sands-trustee.com. If you've got more questions, uh, it's just filled with such good, clear, easy to understand uh, answers for all of your questions. As well as I want to encourage you to give them a call at one 1- eight. 800 661 Sands & Associates has offices all over British Columbia. You're listening to Dollars & Cents.
1: This is a great segment, Blair,
2: I'm looking at signs that are
1: telling each of us that we need some help when it comes to managing debt. Um, I know that you talk to people all the time, looking, helping them look for solutions to manage debts and get financially back on track. And I know there's some clear indicators that a debt problem has kind of reached that point of crisis. And you meet with people who have delayed getting professional assistance because they weren't sure of what they qualified for or where to turn to. So, can we talk about that indicators that folks might recognize as to whether or not they have a problem with debt and, and, or be on the verge of having a debt problem?
0: Yeah, for sure, Elaine. I think that's a great place to start. Um, and you know, the, the feeling of having a debt problem, you know, it can be different for everybody. Um, and there's sometimes there's triggering events, there can be things where, you know, you think you're doing just fine. And then suddenly, you know, you lose a job, or somebody gets sick, or there's a divorce or a family breakdown. Um, so you know, there can be a number of things that contribute. But in terms of the warning signs, uh, it's one of my challenges in my job is people suffer for so long. And sometimes people that I, I sit down with, they're ticking off, you know, seven or eight of these, these different warning signs here, where, you know, one of them might might send, you know, a different person in to get some advice so you know right. here's here's a bit a bit of a listing of you know things if this is you know ringing a couple of bells for you it might be a, a time for you to consider whether you you know there is a bit of a mounting debt problem so the first one and this one is just about everybody that I see is expecting is is experiencing this is near constant or overwhelming stress about money and general finances so you know there's the old adage if you think you have a problem you probably do and that's definitely the case with debt if you find yourself there's a lot of stress you're worrying about your money and your general finances a lot, uh, that's probably indicative that there's something not going, you know, according to plan there. Um, a second big warning sign, and this one, and more and more people are starting to, to really take stock of this, is if you're only making the minimum payments required to service your debts. So anyone that listens to our show knows we've we've got a lot of, of information uh, about how minimum payments are not structured to get you out of debt. And depending on the bank that you're with, you might be making a $200 payment, but only $10 of that is actually reducing your principal The 190 um, you know, 1920s of what you're doing there is just going to interest And the next month that needs to get paid again. So if you're only making minimum payments on your debts, that's usually a big warning sign that you're, you're on the long term plan, which is great for the bank, but very bad for your overall financial health. Uh, another factor to consider is are you accumulating more debt? So uh, every month, if you were to add up your debt balances, do they actually scale up every month because you're continuing to rely on credit uh, or maybe you're starting to get into the payday loan cycle, which uh, that never ends, ends well in my experience because the costs to repay a payday loan mean that you need to get a second one or a third one or a fourth one up until, you know, 10 or 15 of them are going on at once. Uh, you know, one other one, and then maybe we, we can uh, chat about a, a couple of these, Elaine, uh, is using assets to pay down debt. So if the way that you're making your debt payments is by selling the things that you own uh, or, God forbid, tapping into your retirement funds, your RRSPs or different things like that, uh, that's a big significant warning sign that, you know, something is, is, is really amiss there.
1: And what about folks when we because we see these advertisements all the time or hear them about, you um, using your home or, yeah, using your home as an asset or as a way to uh, create money.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've all seen those and they make it sound so easy. If you're a homeowner, we can get you approved without a problem. Uh, And that's something that, you know, it breaks my heart when I see someone that's done that again and again. So someone who might have, you know, owned a house in Vancouver for 20 years, they should be pretty close to mortgage-free. But what they've done every few years is they pulled all the equity out using these these types of of processes. Uh, And then at the end of the day, they've got no equity left. And when they actually look at their root cause, their root cause was they were spending more than they earned each month and they were subsidizing that by drawing down the equity most valuable asset so if the whole point of a house is that eventually it's paid off so if you're having to tap it consistently tap into the equity it's a sign that your monthly budget or, or something is really amiss there and you're not building the long-term wealth that you should be building you know anyone who's owned a house in Vancouver for 20 years should not be having financial worries but I meet with people very often where they might have paid a hundred thousand dollars for the house and it's worth close to two million dollars but the mortgage is about 1.95 million on it they've just consistently pulled out uh, you know ton of the equity over time so uh, it can can lead to a very bad outcome for sure
1: yeah and I know borrowing um, from anybody but specifically friends or family to make a debt payment I would think that that would be a big sign as well
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so any time where you're trying to bore yourself out of the situation, so um, that could be taking money from one card to pay another, it could be trying to get a consolidation loan, and not to say that's a bad idea, it could be a good idea, but if that's also in concert with your missing payments and you're worried, you know, it could be an indication of a debt problem, what really challenges people from an emotional point of view is when they've enlarged that problem to not just include the banks anymore and the credit card companies, but now to include mom or dad or brother or sister or children um, that can be really, really tough. So before you decide to resort to family resources, again, it, it's a good, a good time to have a conversation with a debt health professional to see, you know, is that the right way to go forward? It might be. I've seen a couple situations where, okay, for a small problem and, you know, the family has the resources, maybe that can work. But for the most part, you're just delaying the inevitable and then adding a whole other emotional component um, to deal with your debts that wouldn't be there otherwise.
1: Got it. What are the what are the last couple that you wanted to make sure we
0: mentioned? I think the last two are, again, a lot of people will tick every single one that we've talked about here. They're selling off assets. They're borrowing from friends and family. They're trying to consolidate. But a couple that are pretty classic as well is, are you uncertain about how much you owe and to who? So maybe you've just stopped opening the mail or you've you've just decided, I don't, I'm not even going to respond to anything. And when you when you finally start to look at your financial situation, you don't know where to begin. So if you don't have a clear sense of where you're at, um, that's usually a big warning sign that your debts are probably not going to be an Good situation. Uh, And the last one almost goes without saying, but I will say it if you're experiencing legal action, wages being seized, bank accounts being seized, or other assets being seized, uh, that's a giant red blinking light that obviously you're not meeting your obligations because your creditors are now taking judicial proceedings against you to start to recover their debts. So again, you don't need to to experience all of these or either any of even any of these to have a conversation about your debts. But if you are um, finding yourself a couple of these are ringing some bells, you'll be doing yourself a favor by getting some information, maybe even sooner than you think you need it.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where a licensed insolvency trustee like yourself comes into play, right? I mean, you don't have to have a specific uh, issue or you can have lots of issues and lots of debts and need to take some action. But just to sit down and and have a look through and uh, talk about it seems like a beneficial thing to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one tool I would give people listening today is, you know, even if you're saying, you know, these warning signs don't sound there, I'm not really experiencing those, I feel like I'm okay. But you do have a little bit of a concern about your debt, are you actually going to pay it down? Uh, We call this the rule of 60 math. And it's pretty simple if you just say, what's the total amount of debt that you have and divide it by 60. OK, so forget about the interest for a minute here, uh, but just take the total amount of debt and divide it by 60 payments and then take a look at that monthly payment. Is that something that you could afford to pay off over a five year period? If dividing your debts by 60 gives you this payment that there's no way you could afford to make it. Well, then, you know, you're not actually drawing down your balance. All you're doing is making minimum payments. Um, you're going to be as probably as far in debt five years from now as, as you would be, um, you know, just continuing to do what you do. So I would suggest if you do rule of 60, divide your debts by 60 and see is that a monthly payment you can afford uh, if so you should start making that sort of a monthly payment so that you can actually get out of debt
1: and why and 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 let's talk about the role that you can play in a licensed insolvency trustee can play why is it that going to see you is one of the very best first solutions
0: well a trustee is the only person that's legally empowered and endorsed by the federal government to help you restructure your debts so essentially anybody else that you go to uh, whether it's your credit creditor you know the bank or the credit card company if it's a credit counselor um, you know generally they've got a, a, a horse in the game so to speak because of where they're funded so if you go to the bank obviously the bank wants to to get the most of their money back and they're going to give you some advice but it's going to be relatively self-interested if you're sitting down with a credit counselor they're essentially operating as a collective agency. They get their payments on behalf of the bank to recover all the bank's money back. They might be able to give you an interest freeze, but at the end of the day, you might not get advice for your objectives. A trustee is an independent, unbiased professional. You know, our job is to make sure that the legislation that exists to give Canadians a fresh start to help them get out of debt, that that's applied fairly and equitably to everybody involved. And we're licensed and regulated by the superintendent of bankruptcy. So if you were dealing with a trustee and you have concerns or questions that aren't addressed, you've got somewhere to go, uh, which you don't necessarily have if you're dealing with an unregulated advisor or dealing directly with the creditor. Uh, You may be uh, out of luck if something doesn't happen the way you thought it should have happened pursuant to an agreement.
1: And I think the key thing here is that what you call yourself a licensed insolvency trustee, nobody else can call themselves that unless they are that.
0: Absolutely. It's an offense under the law. um, If you refer to yourself as a trustee and you're not. So if you know you're dealing with an LIT, you know, you've got someone that has, has, you know, essentially a lot of uh, official weight behind what they do.
1: Okay, so let's skip down to the idea or the question about what kind of qualifiers would someone need to have to have in order uh, to come and see you? What kind of criteria? How does
2: that work?
0: Yeah and and this I'm really happy with this answer Elaine because no referral is required and there's never a cost to get advice. Um, So you know if I think of the analogy to to the healthcare situation you need to see a specialist well you might be waiting you need a referral from your GP so on and so forth nothing like that anybody can get free debt advice in Canada from a licensed insolvency trustee Um, and to take action on your debt you don't need to owe hundreds of thousands of dollars or even tens of thousands of dollars Uh, the way the legislation is written is you need to be insolvent and what insolvent means is that you wouldn't be able to pay your debts so either if you were to sell your property it wouldn't be enough to pay off your debts or if you've just stopped making your payments you're just not able to make the payments on your debts because you don't have the income or all your money might be tied up in your house for example um, you could be considered insolvent so if you come to see a trustee you're not going to pay anything uh, to get advice you're not going to need a referral from anybody else Uh, and as long as you owe more than a thousand dollars which is just about anybody these days uh, you would have access to these types of remedies. Now nobody's filing bankruptcy owing a thousand dollars in debt. Uh, but quite often if people owe ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, they're considering a proposal or a bankruptcy to deal with the debt and just to stop the cycle that they're on.
1: Yeah, and it, and it's such a oh insidious cycle too. it can impact people in so many ways.
0: Oh, absolutely, Elaine. It's, it's all consuming. The people that I see, you know, it's physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual. It can be their, their family relationships, their personal relationships. And what's so energizing about my job is seeing the transition that people make when they're discharged from bankruptcy or when they paid off the proposal. Um, you know, money is just one piece of, a, of an overall strategy of getting their life back on track, but it's such an important piece. And sometimes you can't get everything back on track until you've dealt with the money situations.
1: To learn more about your your debt options, if you fall into this category or you want some assistance or some advice and connect with a licensed insolvency trustee in a local BC office near you, visit sands-trustee.com or give them a call at 1-800-661-3030, toll-free. You're listening to Dollars and Cents.
2: So, is it a bump in the road or a financial sinkhole? And the only way to know the difference is look at the key debt warning signs that just you just shouldn't ignore. So, Blair, every day you and your team at Sands & Associates talk to consumers and small business owners who are looking for good debt advice as well as solutions. In your experience, do many people arrive at the conclusion that they need debt help for the same reason?
0: Well, definitely, Elaine. There's a lot of commonality uh, with the clients that come to see us. And what's also really interesting, too, is the balance between feeling in control of your debt versus debt being in control of you can change very, very quickly. Sometimes things can really unravel in the space of a few months. Uh, Sometimes things have been building over a number of years, but then there's some sudden shock and then things suddenly become a A crisis, but a lot of people don't realize how close they actually are uh, to a financial crisis until they're, you know, essentially in the middle of it. Um, You know, no situations are exactly alike. Uh, What we do every year at Sands & Associates is we survey um, our past clients and we try to ask those insights, you know, about how could could you recognize your problem and looking back in hindsight, you know, what is clear to you now that perhaps wasn't clear in that moment. Um, And what also becomes clear too is that very few people actually seek help at the first sign of financial difficulty. It's only 5% of individuals said, yeah, as soon as I knew I was in trouble, I reached out, I got some help, I got a plan, I didn't suffer. For 95% of people, it's the opposite. They suffer, they flail about, they're not sure where to go, they end up being incredibly stressed out, and sometimes that can extend for up to two years. So when someone says, you know, I've had your number, I've been wanting to call for about 18 months, I say, yep, you're right in the ballpark of what typically people do suffer for that period Of time. And why they suffer, what people told us, is they're trying to figure out a solution on their own. So they want to manage their debts independently. That was the most common reason why people didn't reach out for help right away. Now, second to that was they thought there was no solution to their situation. So, what I'm so proud of and what we do in this show is we really give people the information they need to understand there's a solution to every single debt problem you could be facing. But the vast majority of people just think that it's hopeless. They either don't know about a proposal at all or they have a horrible conception what a bankruptcy would mean um, so the education we're able to give you know it really can be life-changing um, oftentimes people don't know where to seek help so they don't know that the trustee exists they don't think it's a person that they can actually help them rehabilitate um, and then finally it's just the embarrassment or the shame and this is really universal there's no one that i've met that's walked into my office you know incredibly proud of being fifty thousand dollars in debt they might have been proud of all their achievements prior to that problem and proud of, you know, their future upside. But, you know, being in debt, it can really hit your self-worth, you know, your ability to be kind to yourself, your self-esteem, and all that can manifest itself even physically with health issues. So, you know, not getting help, it's really not a long-term strategy and it can just get worse and worse.
2: Now, I know because of how often and how many people you've talked to in your career, you have some really good ideas, some first things that you want people to be on the lookout for as potential signs that their finances may need some closer attention before they get to that really difficult stage where they're in trouble and they need help. Now, what are some of the things that people, you know, the average person could just look at and just sort of double check and see how they're doing?
0: Mm-hmm. yeah some of these might be might sound pretty common sense and that's okay some might be surprising the first I think this is you know the most common sense of all is are you surviving or thriving based on your budget so having a balanced budget is not surprising but that's really the basic recommendation to manage your debt but you need to consider is your budget revolving around your debt you know how much of your household income is spent making your debt payments each month Uh If it's all of your household disposable income, are you not saving any money at that point? Do you have any emergency savings? Do you have the insurances that you need if something were to happen? You know, if you can't afford to get contents insurance because you're paying all your money to debt payments and suddenly there's a flood, a fire or something like that, that can be financially catastrophic. Uh, What resources would you have if there was an unexpected repair or a sudden temporary dip in income? A lot of folks that I see, their budget is stretched just to the max uh, and they use credit as a safety net. Uh, but that's really not a long-term plan because eventually, um, you know, the credit could be pulled back at any point or might hit its limit, uh, and then it would be a real challenge for you.
2: Okay. So, um, savings and adequate insurances can make a big difference on how anyone handles a financial emergency, but credit as a safety net can be super comforting, but it isn't ideal, uh, is it?
0: Oh, sorry, Lane, you were asking me, it, it isn't ideal?
2: Yeah, it is, it's not ideal.
0: No, 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 definitely not. The better habit to get into is the idea of paying yourself first and figuring out a bit of a hierarchy. So, you know, your first thing is you need to make sure you're saving for that emergency fund every month. But after then, you want to think about, you know, retirement planning, a TFSA, a tax free savings account, for example, or maybe uh, education savings plans if you have kids at that certain age. But if your budget's at the point where essentially you're only making ends meet by either going further into debt um, or you're struggling to just make the minimum payments each month, you're not going to be able to achieve your financial goals because your budget is just going to constrain you too much.
2: Got it. Okay, and le- before we go to um, to move on to the other warning signs that you want to talk about, I just want to remind folks to go to the website for SANS and Associates at sands-trustee.com. It's filled with great questions and really good answers, and if you want to give them a call and set up that That first appointment, easy to do. Their number is 1-800-661-3030. And, of course, uh, they're super accessible, have offices all over British Columbia. So let's stay with the warning signs, Blair. What's the last one that you think is super important?
0: Yeah, another really important one here is what we call the minimum payment trap. So, you know, we've talked about if your budget is so stretched because you're only making minimum payments, but you really need to understand making minimum payments, though your credit rating might still look pretty good. That's one of the biggest warning signs that you're not on a good financial plan. You're on a financial plan that's going to keep you in debt for many, many years. So we talk a lot on on this show about, you know, various examples, uh, you know a $6,000 debt, even an amount like that, can be up to 40 years to pay off, at just minimum payments. And that was a really key warning sign by, uh, by uh, clients who responded to our most recent survey. Only making minimum payments was 60% of people's main warning sign. That's how they knew they had a problem, is they looked at their credit balances each month, they were straining like crazy to get all the minimum payments paid, and then the next month they saw their debts had went down by just a few dollars, just maybe 10% of what they had paid, the 90% was paid in charges out and it really wasn't drawing down their balance so the minimum payment trap is just so important to avoid
2: now is this where you always like to talk about the rule of 60 as 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 a good tool for folks
0: yeah i think that's a good a good uh, little math test to do is to say you know if you think you don't have a debt problem okay take the amount of debt that you have your credit cards lines of credit student loans income taxes things other than a mortgage or a car loan take that amount forget about the interest but divide it by 60 and just see what that monthly payment looks like. So if it was $30,000 of debt, divided by 60, that's $500 a month. And just see, okay, if I really wanted to get out of debt over 60 months, forgetting about the interest, could I pay $500 a month? And if that seems like, oh my gosh, I couldn't pay $200 a month, that's a big indicator that whatever you're doing, even if you're just paying the minimum payments, you're not going to get out of debt keeping that same behavior. You're going to need to get help, ideally from a licensed insolvency trustee.
2: And are there any other warning signs that folks can watch out for once they realize they're sort of moving into that next level of working on a plan to pay off their debt that we can finish this segment off with?
0: Yeah, a couple of really important ones. Um, so one is using assets to pay down your debt. So not always a warning sign. Sometimes, you know, if your eyes wide open, could be what you want to do. But many times when I see it, it's people didn't have eyes wide open. They used an asset to pay off their debt because they thought they would lose it. And in reality, it was a protected asset. So the common one, the most common one that breaks my heart is cashing in RRSPs. So if someone there is listening, thinking about cashing in their RRSPs to pay their debts because they figure they're going to lose them anyway if they're sued or if they have to file a bankruptcy, they wouldn't lose them regardless of a bankruptcy or even if they were sued. But if you cash them in to pay your debts, they're gone at that point, you can't easily get them back. And you probably got yourself a bit of a tax liability as well. So be very careful using assets to pay debt. Um, the other is just to be very careful about trying to borrow yourself out of the situation. So you know, sometimes you'll consolidate all your debt together, and you'll decide to refinance your mortgage, for example, but you haven't changed your spending patterns or the underlying issue that caused the problem. So then suddenly the debts go back up again. Um, or in other cases, you're looking to consolidate your debts, but you end up bringing in a cosigner, for example. So someone who is not involved in your debts at all, you've now made them fully liable for your cosigned consolidated debts. Both of those are very risky strategies, something consumers should definitely think twice before pursuing.
2: All right. Uh, if, you want, if you've got more questions and you want some answers, the website is great with Sands & Associates at sands-trustee.com or give them a call. Set up that first appointment uh, 1-800-661-3030 uh, and get started on that plan. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. So making plans to pay off your debt
1: Blair's got some expert tips to help you get there. It's always a great time to plan for our future selves. I love that idea, especially when it comes to paying off debt. But Blair and the team at Sands & Associates help consumers right across the province who are looking for support in achieving their debt-free goals. Blair's gonna share some tips uh, so that you've got a bit of a plan to tackle your debt. So Blair, first question, from your perspective, What are some examples of financial habits that are good to have? And I love this because we often talk about what we shouldn't be doing, but the things that are good to have and good to be comfortable with as we go forward.
0: Well, certainly, Elaine. And it's definitely the case. Everybody's finances are different. It's unique to every individual and to household. But there's definitely a few categories of things that are just the best practice, almost always nearly applicable to everybody, um, especially if you've got a goal of being debt free. And the first one to talk about is to set some financial goals. So to have an idea of where you want to get to with your finances, so it could be something like paying off a credit card or cutting down some costs that you think are too high, but the ability to achieve a goal and then congratulate yourself on meeting that goal, it's important. It can bring build some momentum and the more visible progress that you're making, the better you're going to feel about your finances and the more you're going to want to continue. So, you know, some key things to think about with goals, again, it's all personal, but you want to come up with a few measurable, achievable goals across different timeframes and put them on paper and start to map out how you're going to get there. So a couple of ideas, you know, one might be to create a household budget, uh, to pay off a debt, to have a will written, um, to get a professional retirement plan. So it's not always, you know, a a financial goal. It can be something that's just really good housekeeping, like a will or estate planning. Uh, And it's okay to start small, you know, even just deciding on a goal and making a plan to meet it. That can be itself a goal. You know, my goal this month is to, to start making goals. That can be something that you can achieve. So that's just really important is to set some financial goals. Um, you know, a lot oftentimes a financial goal to set has to do with some savings and whether it could be an emergency fund, um, a holiday, retirement, or post-secondary, you know, that can be a really good goal to start. And once you have that cushion of savings, um, you know, that can really help you if something unexpected does happen in your life and you need to dip into that.
1: Um. You know, I just wonder is, in all the people that you've talked to, is that kind of a piece that is missing for them having those, having a goal or having any kind of a goal when it comes to their uh, finances?
0: That's a big piece, Elena. That's night and day when someone meets with us because part of our counseling sessions, um, you know, a big part of that is setting financial goals for the short, medium, and long term. And sometimes people are just amazed that they're actually allowed to have goals. You know, just because you're writing off your debt and starting again, you're allowed to plan for the future. So a lot of the times when I meet with people, you know, they're just so in the moment, in the eye of the storm, having people call them, harass them, their paycheck is spent before they get it type of thing. So a lot of the times people just haven't thought about financial financial goals for a long time. Um, And sometimes what's even useful to do um, is, you know, just to think about if you're in debt, your goal is to become debt free, but then to determine how realistic is that given what you're doing. Uh, one great tool that we talk about a lot on this show uh, is called the rule of 60. Okay, it's very, very simple. And what you would do is take your consumer debt, so things not your mortgage or your car loan, but credit cards, lines of credits, student loans, income taxes, anything like that, take that and divide the total by 60. And then just take a look at that payment. So if it was $24,000 of debt, and you divided it by 60, well, that's $400 a month. How does that look to you? Can you be paying $400 a month on your debt? Are you paying more than that now? Or are you struggling to make even half of that payment? That can be re- really illustrated to say, well, you might be making your payments now, but you're going to be in debt for a long, long time. So looking at the rule of 60, that could be a really good way to say, if your goal is to be debt-free, well, will start to do this math to see if you're going to get there under your own steam.
1: That's such a good idea. And I, I just want to throw in at this point, if you are already thinking, yikes, I need some help, I need to talk to Blair, I need to talk to somebody at Sands & Associates to figure this out because I don't know the answers to those questions or I don't have any goals. It's so easy to do. Give them a call, 1-800-661-3030, or check out the website. Also, a great way to do this, sands-trustee.com. The amount of information that we're inundated these days, uh, whether we search it out or it's just coming at us, must be pretty daunting for anybody that wants to kind of take a stab at fixing, uh, figuring out their finances and how to resolve a debt issue.
0: Well, and it even goes one worse than that, Elaine. So there's a ton of information that's out there, but there's also a lot of stuff that's out there that's just not true, and it's put out by folks who might have certain agendas who claim they can help you with your debt or not. So it's definitely the case, you know, it's it's reader beware, buyer beware. When you're looking for debt help information, make sure you're always looking to a reputable source. Uh, And you need to make sure you're getting the advice of an expert, not just Google, or not just going by what your friends or family members as well-intentioned as they might be. Uh, We have people all the time who have said, you know, I took this action because, you know, the accountant in my family said, oh, this is what I have to do. And the accountant might be great at their specific uh, role of accounting, but when you're dealing with a debt repayment situation or an insolvency where there's not enough to pay everything back, you really need to do to get the expert advice at the time. And the best expert for you to see is a licensed insolvency trustee. Yeah. But, you know, aside aside from knowing who to call, you also need to know what's your current situation. So you need to spend some time putting together an accurate picture of yourself and your finances. Uh, It doesn't need to be overly sophisticated, but a couple of really important things uh, is you need to list down all of your debts and how much you pay toward each bill each month. Uh, You need to inventory your assets and figure out, okay, I've got all the documentation that I need, the registration and policies. This is just good financial housekeeping. Um, Make sure you're filed up to date with your taxes, your tax return, and your notice of assessment. And then once you've got that as a good base, the most important thing for people to really uh, either get out of debt or avoid getting into it um, is to check in on your budget regularly. So to have a budget, but more importantly, to measure yourself against it on a regular basis.
1: And it, and it sounds like that would, could potentially be pretty onerous on somebody, but I think you guys have it figured out that it doesn't have to be. There's some very simple, thoughtful ways to go about that.
0: Yeah, it definitely doesn't have to be anything that's overly difficult. You know, if you're a very tech-savvy person, there's some really great apps out there. You just upload your debit information and they'll start to categorize your transaction for you. It can be a simple spreadsheet. It can be a simple written record. There's a lot of different ways to get at it, but it's just really important that you're tracking your income and your expenses because you're not going to know if you've got a a small amount of overspending on a continuous basis. You're not going to know that unless you've got your budget and you're measuring against it each time. And then sometimes what you'll see when you start to actually look at your transaction, are you getting value for all the services and costs that you're being charged? Um, Are you seeing charges that don't appear familiar? Maybe there's a subscription you thought you canceled, but they're still billing you. So it's really important that, you know, even if you ended the month saying, oh my gosh, I know I overspent and I didn't do well, you should go back and look and really try to identify the problem and then also see if there are some potential corrective actions you can take that maybe you didn't think about before.
1: Now, are there a couple of signs as we wrap this segment up, Blair, that that really stick out that people go, oh, oh, I remember hearing about that. If that shows up, I need to do something about it.
0: You know, I think the number one thing to keep in mind is if your budget doesn't have any room for savings, that's a really good indication it's going to be difficult to stick to that budget, because life does always intervene, and if your budget is to the point where every dollar you come in is already spoken for, there's nothing to have a savings for an emergency fund, um, you're in a very precarious position. So you really do want to get to the point where you've got a budget that's reasonable, you're checking in on it, but there is some component that's there uh, earmarked for savings for an emergency fund for the future. That's the number one reason why uh, a budget can really help you and really help you get a a handle on a debt problem is making sure there's some room there for savings.
1: Okay. I And in closing, I just want to mention, you know, Sands & Associates can work with you, whether it be in person or remotely. You can get support from a qualified professional to help you meet those goals and become debt-free for good without leaving the comfort of your home, which I think is super important. If you're ready to make some debt payments, a thing of the past, connect with Sands. And this is the best way to do it. Book a free confidential debt consultation, uh, the phone number one 800 661 3030 or visit the website at sans trusteecom You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time.
0: The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.